Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Let's get ready to plus game. <laughs> Hello listeners and welcome back to the Plus Dave podcast, the Tottenham Hotspur theme show brought to you by a team of Spurs fans and a Leeds fan called Dave. I have with me this evening Socrates and Dave. There's no Elio today, so apology to you legions of Elio fans out there who are hoping for some more foul-mouthed rampages and rants, but you're going to have to wait at least one more week for him to return. But uh, hopefully we're well-staffed today to cover in his absence. We're going to be talking about a rather disappointing result, of course. Ange Postacoglu's dream start to the season has fallen off a cliff somewhat thanks in no small part to a wave of injuries and suspensions and it came back in a big way in the away game at Wolves we lost 2-1 in dramatic circumstances we're not used to being on the receiving end of dramatic last minute winners but of course this was the way it unfolded last time Socks Dave here to talk with me about that as we head into the international break Socks welcome back Chelsea hurt did this one hurt a little bit more uh, I think it hurt more just because of the manner of it. I think to concede two goals from the 90th minute onwards, irrespective of opposition, is always going to sting a little bit more. Whereas by the Chelsea game, you kind of knew it was over. What When did Odogi get sent off? 50th, 55th yeah. minute? So that from that point, it was just kind of like death by a thousand cuts. But I think we all had the opportunity to sort of take some pride in terms of how we responded at the higher line that we played. So there was a bit of that romantic, like, this is Tottenham, we play our way no matter what. This one was... Yeah. A mostly crap game where we didn't play particularly well outside of the first five or ten minutes and we got what we deserved. But at the same time, I think at the 90th minute, you're looking at it going, we don't really deserve this win, but let's hold it out for five more minutes and get the smash and grab or at the very least hold on to a draw. So to lose it in that fashion, I think is, yeah, I mean, those suck. And I'm glad we're recording it now on what are we Wednesday? Because I think for the first yeah. sort of 48 hours after that, I was just waking up clenching my teeth or whatever in the, <laughs> in the middle of my sleep, just in kind of rage or whatever. So I would have I would have actually been a, a suitable replacement for Elliot if this was a mere 24, 40 hours ago, but maybe it's a good thing yeah. that I'm not. Yeah, it's probably not a coincidence that we've pushed this back about as far as we can get away with. So yeah, <laughs> quite. Uh, let, let, let's try and deliver a, a measured, calm podcast to the best of our ability, shall we? Dave, I assume you watched some of that match and, and I, I imagine by the time you were paying attention, you, you normally take a good 15, 20 minutes to ease into Spurs games, but you would have seen the drama right at the end from what you saw I suppose kind of deserved what they got, really, didn't they? It wasn't our best performance, and we were inviting a lot of pressure. Uh, yes, however, I didn't see. I heard. I heard all of it. I listened oh, you to heard. all of the commentary. Uh, so I was actually in my car at the time for the entire um. the entire game. So I listened to all of it on BBC Five Live. And yeah, exactly that. You know, it was there was a lot of chat about you know wolves have played. Oh, bless wolves have played really well, but they don't have any end product. They yeah. can go all day without scoring a goal. And They're going to take a goal of the season. And then suddenly, it all happens break. after the goal of the season. Yeah, exactly yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, I like how each week you're experiencing Spurs in different ways. Yeah, one yeah, week from watching, I'm going for then different it's the mediums every time. Now yeah. it's the radio. <laughs> yeah, and, and somehow we're, we're not coming off particularly well in any any of those mediums. I've never experienced a Spurs game solely via social media yet so maybe that's my next uh oh, my that, next that sounds uh, one like a because, horrible experience because i have to do that a lot for leads because you know yeah. generally we're not on tv and you know it's just a case of following a few journalists and and then and then putting in hashtag lufc and seeing how <laughs> many people want to you know 
murder Leeds United players or themselves <laughs> at half time because we're not doing as well as we could do. So I can only assume that a Spurs a Spurs social watch along is probably very similar. Yeah, I, I imagine Twitter is painting a pretty similar picture at the moment. You know that famous Homer Simpson meme where he goes back into the bush and then comes out. I think a lot of a lot of Spurs <laughs> fans are emerging from the bush in their purple and gold scarves at the moment. I think the old <laughs> Levy outers are, are emerging from the woodwork again. Speaking of which, they're not without any kind of justification because it wasn't a great performance. It wasn't the most encouraging. And a lot of the old deadwood, for want of a nicer way of putting it, were out on show again. And I don't want to be too harsh on the players that were forced to come in because, of course, you know, they're doing a job and a lot of them have been good servants. But there was the faintest air in this game of a bit of a reversion to Conte ball, I thought. What do you reckon? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, I think that's only natural because if you look at the players who came in, it was the players who have had the fewest minutes this season. So even though they've been training under Ange, the last time they probably stepped on a football pitch, I mean, Eric Dyer, literally the last time we would have stepped on a football pitch would have been the end of the Conte, Stellini, Mason. I'm loath to use the word error, but so let's just call it a, a period. But I also yeah. think part of it is just a consequence of, I think what's happened is the first 10 games or whatever it was have gone so well we've kind of collectively as a fan base where a lot of us shift our expectation because coming into the season, you listen to us speak in August and I think most Spurs fans were looking at it and going, look, the season is in a free hit in the sense that we're not going to accept finishing 12th, but nobody's going to get angry if you finish 6th or 7th. I think when you start the season as well as what we've done, I think excitement turned into expectation. And mm-hmm. I think the last couple of games have been more of a, okay, let, let, let's remember where we are. We have a couple, and we were all saying at the time, to be fair, a couple of injuries and we are going to revert to type. And that's partly what's happened. Yeah. I think what you said about kind of like the Conteisms coming in, well, again, we're 10, 11, 12 games, whatever it is, including the Carabao Cup into a new manager. So I think there's some stuff you can look at it and go, okay, we blame the lack of Romero for this. We blame the lack of Madison for that. But refusing to attack after you scored the first goal within five or 10 minutes, Look, we struggled to build out of the back without Van der Ven and Romero. So I think that had an impact. But at the same time, the second we conceded, all of a sudden it's like we were going forward, going forward, going forward. So I don't think that's a reasonable excuse. So there were many reminders in this game, partly the the lack of time we've had under Ange and partly the, the crappy squad depth that we have that I think have maybe settled down the fan base a little bit. And I don't think too many of us were uh, beyond you sarcastically or jokingly taking the piss every week and asking me, could we win the league? (laughs) I think most of us weren't really looking at the season with any huge degree of seriousness with the league. But I think what we were doing and myself included, we're looking at instead of it, top six or seven, top four or five. Now I think we're back in the, okay, this is first Mm. season. This is the beginning of maybe the bumpy period that we thought was going to be August, September, October now looks like he's probably going to be November, December, and maybe January. So yeah. I am. I, I said it jokingly, but also not jokingly at the back end of the last podcast, that I think we are f- for the foreseeable. And mm. I, I think this is going to be a bumpy couple of months now until January. So I'm clenching everything I've got and, and bracing myself for pain. Yeah, let's say I was joking about us winning the league. And n- <laughs> now that we've lost the last couple of games, I'm going to happily say, yeah, yeah, of course, of course I was joking. That'd be ridiculous. But mathematically, like you say, we're on track, aren't we? I think we're still, even if we lost the next game, I'm not saying that I'm writing it off just yet, but even if we lose the next game or two, we're still in a position, or we will still be in a position that mathematically on balance, a lot of people would have taken pre-season. It's just that yeah. we flew out so far ahead of schedule that we got a little bit of credit in the bank and we can afford to have this period. Obviously, you know, if fourth or fifth is the target, then we're still looking pretty good for that. We just need to try and drag our way through this very difficult few games coming up and see how we end up on the back of it. But return to this game then, obviously... It was never going to be easy, was it, taking this many players out of the starting lineup and putting in a few players that weren't really suited to the system. Dave, how screwed do you think Spurs are right now? 
because obviously we've got Villa coming up, we've got Man City coming up, we've got an informed West Ham, we've got Bryson, we've got Newcastle. These are all games that are coming before Madison and Van der Ven are expected back in the starting lineup. So would you be a little bit worried if you're a Spurs fan or would you be thinking, this is fine, you've got enough points to stumble your way to Christmas and still be within a Champions League spot? Well, I think that's a dangerous mindset because what is it they always say? You don't win anything at this time of the year, but you can lose things. I think having that mindset saying, let's just, you know, hold our breath, hold our nose and just wake me up when December ends is probably not (laughs) a good idea and not going to do anybody's mental health any good. But also, Mm. I don't think it'll do Spurs any good either. I think you have to take this for what it is. Yes, you've got injuries. Yes, you've had suspensions, but suspensions are coming back eventually. Yes, Van der Ven's yep. out. Yes, Madison's out. But you lost a freak game to Chelsea, and then you've lost a game away, uh, a Wolves team that ultimately beat you team. through through. A, I'm not sure they are, but they beat you through mm. a moment of world class football, which then just ignited the entire team, ignited the entire ground. You know that was looking. You know from the highlights that I've seen, it did look like they just didn't have the firepower to be able to put it in the net, and that, you'd have walked away from a one nil and would have been having a different conversation. But either way, it's a freak result and a defeat to a team in the Premier League. You know, it's the Premier League. It's not a farmer's league. It's Everybody keeps saying it's the hardest league in the world. And if it is, then you should be losing some away games, especially if you've got four nailed-on starters missing. So mm-hmm. I think you should be a little bit more glass half full and no. and look at this as an opportunity. <laughs> Cheers, <son>. uh, <laughs> Look at this as an opportunity to see what, Postacoglu can do with some of the players that you've labelled dead wood and written off. You know, I mean, he's not written them off because he's a coach and it's his job not to write them off. Yeah. Yes, he's high, He's signed better players, sure, but they're still in the squad. You know, Dyer could have left. I'm sure Leicester would have given you 20 million for Eric Dyer <laughs> in a heartbeat, but he didn't leave. He's still there. You've still got players who are more than capable. And I think it's an opportunity to see what Postacoglu can do because yeah. you won't be as good as you've been previously, because by definition, caliber of players that have been replacing the players that your first team and your first team stars are less or else they'd be your first team stars. However, they're not chumps. They can mm. play football and they can probably listen to what postacoglu has got to say. And if he's a coach, he's as good a coach as we all think he is based on what he's done in his previous roles and what he's done in the first you know, dozen games for you guys then he should be able to get a tune out of you guys. And I'm not saying you're going to blitz a Villa 4-0, but I'm saying you'll be competitive. And if you're competitive against Villa, quite frankly, right now, then you're competitive against everybody. I mean, there are a handful of players who he put into the first team at the beginning of the season that we weren't necessarily expecting huge things on based on last season. So a lot of people are quite quick to write off some of these players and think, oh, they've got no future, but they've had one game back in and they've not really had a chance to play with the players that they're going to be having around them. So I suppose we've got to give them a chance to gel in and see what they can do with a bit of coaching from Ange and hopefully he can get them working. But I think for me, it is fair to say that we deserve to lose that game. I don't know if I'm being harsh and I know it was really, really fine margins in the the end and obviously Wolves took a long time to take their chances but I think throughout the game I thought we're lucky we should have lost this. this this should have been done they had a lot of the ball in attacking areas they missed a few pretty easy chances we created about two shots on goal I think the whole time I think it was the fair results and I guess my question socks is I don't know if you necessarily agree with that but if you think it is true that we deserve to lose that we were the worst team why do you think that was where do you think we fell short I mean, it's what I said before. We scored a goal and then we stopped attacking. I think from the goal, we didn't have another shot of any meaningful consequence until Lo Celso. Yeah. And that was something like 88th minute or whatever the hell it was. So you can't go... I mean, look, we were all worried coming into the game and going, Eric Dyer, Ben Davis, high line. 
I thought they yeah. were mostly pretty good. And even though I think Dyer was culpable for the second goal, it wasn't really the high line that cost us. I mean, it was mostly falling asleep from a free kick we gave away yeah. that was as a result of Hoiberg, Emerson and Dyer having the worst on-pitch rondo I've ever seen in my life. And, and those are sort of the three players that lack the technical capacity, coaching be damned to, to kind of do that sort of thing. But it's what we said before, the Conte isn't as much as anything else kind of crept in and you know you don't shoot you don't score and I think yeah. Anish spoke about it after the game he didn't really go oh well our defending was poor or we're missing so and so we just didn't go forward and attack in the same way and these look uh, we've already had a couple of performances where certain patches of them haven't been quite up to speed and that's for the full team we've already mentioned Crystal Palace in the past we mentioned patches of the Fulham game as an example this is sort of a continuation of that. And I think when you have those sorts of performances, but you're missing that little bit of quality in Madison, Romero and Van der Ven, you are going to be slightly less likely to make chances and you are going to be slightly more likely to concede the sorts of chances and half, half chances you otherwise mm. wouldn't do. And all right, the first goal was just absolutely, I mean, just ridiculous. Like what, what a goal. You're almost, you're almost <laughs> not mad that it went in. <laughs> when you look at it yeah. back on the replay, you just kind of want to stand up and applaud. Fair enough. Like fair enough. There's not really a lot you can do about that one. But beyond that, look, it's like we've been saying this whole time because of how early we are in this whole thing. Everything feels a little bit fragile. Like I, I can't say I trust this team yet. And that's not because I don't trust them as individuals or I don't trust the coach, but I do not trust the collective just by consequence of a lack of time. I'm honestly, I'm almost of the mind where I kind of want the season to end. I don't care where we finish. I want it to end tomorrow because I want us to accelerate. To, I'm not even kidding. I, I want us to accelerate to the end <laughs> of the on, season. So thing, we right? The two points off. No, top. no, I don't. No, I don't mean it in like <laughs> know, uh, this I is know. a disaster way. I, yeah. I, mean, I mean it in a because I don't think we're going to do anything meaningful this season. We'll finish somewhere in the top six. We won't win the FA Cup. But I've already seen enough for me to think, bloody hell, how good could this team be in 12 mm. months' time? So I've almost already got what I wanted from this season to a point where I'm annoyed it's come this early. It's just like, all right, well, that's mission accomplished. What the <laughs> f*** do I do now? Like, I'm just you're waiting gonna put it, for you're it gonna to put end. You're going to put it on holiday mode. Yeah, 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 well, yeah manager holiday. holiday. I, yeah. I, pre- I prefer the term mini retirement, months. Dave, but <laughs> holiday's <laughs> fine. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to go on a mini yeah. retirement from now to the end of the season, but alas, it's not going to happen. Very good. Yeah. Speaking of mini retirements, a quick word to Sol Campbell, who has apparently uh, <laughs> called time on his managerial career. I saw a brilliant tweet about that earlier. Someone shared it and said, in solidarity with Big Sol, I've decided to call time on my career as professor of the dark arts at Hogwarts. <laughs> which is excellent Uh, anyway moving back to the game so yeah I I see where you're coming from so in terms of the actual lineup obviously Ange's hands were somewhat tied only a handful of players to actually pick from do you think it was the right lineup can you fault the lineup at all I mean with what we had to work with would you prefer to have seen one of the young centre-backs play perhaps with a bit more pace or was there anything in the midfield you might have changed I'm always loath to blame a lineup because the manager is the one that has the insight on seeing these players train and we've got absolutely no idea. And we're basically judging them off of what we've last seen of them, which in the case of Dyer and Davis, especially Dyer was going back to last season and the rest is hopes and dreams. Like I know a lot of people were saying, throw Phillips in there or throw Dorrington in there. I mean, Phillips and Dorrington played the other day. I think it was against Peterborough or something, conceded two, three goals or whatever yeah. it was. Like it, it's... A, I think with youth players, we always have this idea in our heads where it's like, chuck them in there, they'll be ready. You know, if they're good enough, they're young enough or whatever. But at the same time, Harry Kane didn't break through until sort of 21. So I think with youth players, you have to trust the manager's instincts on that one. In terms of everybody else, I'm going to contradict myself slightly because I would like to have seen Lacelso in there. I wasn't necessarily happy with he the moving Basuma. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. better than what we had beforehand anyway, because I think... Hoiberg as a six, I don't have an issue with. But putting Basuma as an eight and then Sarr 
far as the other eight or the tenor, whatever you want to call it, yeah. feels like weakening two different positions to kind of shove Hoiberg in there. I would have been more than happy for Basuma as the six. Sar in his usual position. Lacelso and Madison just seemed like the most obvious like for like. I thought that's what Lacelso was here for. For when we had these periods where yeah. Madison was out, it, if Lacelso wasn't made out of, you know, I, th- I think I called him made out of Weetabix a week ago, whatever it was, if he wasn't made out of Weetabix, he'd be the most obvious replacement. There's a really talented player in there, even though he's stylistically different to Madison. So that's the one I looked at and I thought, this is a bit frustrating. I don't really understand why the most obvious decision hasn't been made there. Yeah. I am curious to see now, providing everybody gets through this international break unscathed, I am curious to see if this is something that he sticks with because... If we go into the next game, which is Villa at home, and it's still Hoiberg, Basuma, and Saar injuries notwithstanding, then all of a sudden I'll start to have question marks and go, as a one-off thing, fine, fair enough. He saw something in training. He doesn't think someone's fit enough, whatever it is. If this starts to become a pattern, then my question goes, what the hell is Lacelso doing or rather not doing hmm. for him to be destabilizing a couple of positions as opposed to playing the most obvious player? This is a guy that starts for Argentina every single game when he's fit. And you, you listen to Argentinians, both supporters and his teammates, and they're all saying this guy is pretty much the most important player in our midfield over mm-hmm. Enzo, over Parade, over everybody. So I have eyes on the on the Villa one because if he doesn't start, then then maybe we have long term problems with him. I think when I saw that lineup, I was at a, I was at a kids party and I sent and I showed it to two of my friends who are both Spurs fans. I can't I can't escape you guys. Um, <laughs> but the first thing that came to my mind was. An old PDP quote, which was oh, yeah. a midfield of mashed potato, chips, and jacket. And jacket. Yeah. It's just, yeah. it was just, it didn't make sense to me. It was like a very, well, quite frankly, a stodgy midfield. And, 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 <laughs> and I don't. Yeah, very well, very starchy. <laughs> very starchy. Yeah. I mean, see, look at Hoiper. He's he might as <laughs> Milne might as well be starch. But yeah, that's exactly what we said when we looked at each other. Well, that's a bit. Yeah, it's meaty, but it's not. There's not a lot of substance in terms of going forward. Maybe Poch is going for the sit in and get a draw. Which well, first of all, it's not Poch. You've just done what Elio did last week. We've we just had another Freudian, Freudian slip. Secondly, for a minute, when you when you said yeah, when you said you were at a kid's birthday party and you showed someone the lineup, I thought you were about to say oh, I showed a couple of six year olds the Spurs team, and even they could tell it was. <laughs> um, yeah, they went. What's he Dyer? doing, Dyer and Davies? I'm seven. I know better than that. No, to, be, to, to clarify, you had kids of your you had kids of your own at that party. You just didn't <laughs> randomly turn up to like six year old. That was the first thing that came to my mind. <laughs> I believe you were there with children of your own. Not oh, I wandered into a backyard. For, for, for the record, I believe I believe that to have been the case. Yes, yes. Moving moving swiftly on. Um, <laughs> to be fair, we're gonna have to decide to... we leave that one on the uh, cutting room floor. Yeah, that, that's, that's going to be. Be a decision later on. So I was at an adult consenting party <laughs> on Saturday. That sounds worse, Dave. That sounds so much worse. All right, I insist we move this along. I'm trying to talk about Dyer and Davies here, okay? Stop lowering the tone. Um, Dyer and Davies, Dyer and Davies, they're, they're remnants of the old the old guard, okay? They, they get a lot of criticism. For me, and Sock, I, I want to get your opinion on this. For me, I think defensively they were fine. I think they're both decent defenders. They've proven that. And like they've said, they could go to another team and they'd probably do very well. But I think in this system where obviously we're playing this high line, so that's going to be an issue. But also for me, the biggest drop off wasn't the defensive ability. It was the ability on the ball for me, particularly comparing Romero to Dyer. I would say I think Dyer, I said this at the time, he, it seemed that we invited a lot of pressure. We seemed a little bit panicked when we were building out when he had the ball compared to when Romero's on the ball. You can, he plays those passes through and he breaks lines of pressure. Do you think that that's going to be a problem going forward? And more importantly, perhaps, do you expect that we might change the way we play in any way? Or is it going to be this kind of, no, this is how we are, mate. This is what's happening. Deal with it. It doesn't matter who's in our team. We're just going to play that way. 
I mean, that one is an obvious answer, though. There's no way in hell he's changing. Uh, there might be slight tweaks within a broader philosophy, obviously, but I, the general philosophy itself will absolutely... I mean, if that Chelsea game didn't convince you that this guy is completely headstrong in his beliefs and conviction, then absolutely nothing will. In terms of will it be a problem, I mean, yes, that's the stuff that we're worried about. I mean, look, yeah. look at, say, look at Man City as an example, best team in the world, best manager in the world, and you look at their squad and go, you have the strongest squad that pretty much anywhere, but... They lose Rodri and not coincidentally, they lose two or three games on the spin mm. because even even a team like them don't really have an... I mean, there's Calvin Phillips, but for one reason or another, he hasn't particularly worked there. Arsenal last season probably lost the league title off of the back of Saliba dropping off to Rob yeah. Holding yeah. because they live, they live without Jesus absolutely fine. There are certain players in certain positions... I mean, look, we're missing two or three players out on that left wing. Mm. There's no Richarlison, there's no Perisic, there's no Solomon, but we're, we, we can we can sustain three injuries to one position and you can still shove Brennan Johnson up there, maybe even Brian Hill, maybe even Hoon Son, but you lose one player at centre-back and the whole thing can crumble. And that's just... We have very specific weaknesses in a very specific position and it's not so much that... I agree, I don't think Dyer or Davis were bad defensively at all and then the sort of players that... It reminds me a bit of when we had Kieran Trippier a little bit. And I can't remember if I mentioned this on a recent podcast or not, but he goes off to Atletico Madrid and works under Simeone in a system that suited him much better. And he went from being an absolutely massive liability at Tottenham to a key component of them, his sort of ban from the betting thing aside, but a key mm. component of them going off and winning that title. And sometimes you look at it and it's like, why do these players keep leaving Tottenham and winning stuff <laughs> elsewhere? Well, that's because they're signed by good clubs. And the reason they're signed by good clubs is because they're good players. The mistake we've sort yeah. of often made at Tottenham is that you can have a good player that's also a bad signing. And the problem we've often have is because we change managers so often that you end up having this complete pick and mix of a squad where you've got Ange now and is uh, Dyer and Davis are, are signings from 2014. So you're always going to have a drop off where uh, I made the analogy a few episodes ago of like you've gone out for a pizza and you come back with a chicken kebab. It's <laughs> not that the one is necessarily bad, but it's not what you're in the mood for. Mm. And unfortunately, we can't get the pizza that we want until sort of January and summer at the earliest. And we're just going to have to live with that. And, you know, I know Dave earlier was going on about the coach being able to coach him in their way. Absolutely. But there is a line and there's a point where it's just like wh whatever Dyer and Davis's ceiling is under this coach, it's probably below the floor of Van de Ven and Romero. Mm. And we are just going to have to find a way to live with that. And that's why I'm sort of bracing myself for pain because there isn't any amount of coaching that is going to be able to effectively make Hoiberg have balance, agility, and dexterity to mm. give him the physical traits that he lacks to play in that position, give Eric Dyer the, the balance and dexterity he needs and, and the ability to play on a turn and all these sorts of things, or make Ben Davis half a foot taller or whatever it might be, or, or you know, sharper or quicker over a sort of 50-yard distance. Like There's no amount of coaching that will save us there. So yeah. There isn't really a good answer, I don't think, simply mm. because we don't have the personnel. But again, without wanting to sound like a broken record, we can't move away from win-now managers and complain that we have win-now managers and maintain win-now expectations. Yeah. If we want to be a project club again, because we think that's what suits the football club, then we need to amend those expectations and accept that Sir Alex Ferguson took five years to win something in Man United. And there were periods in that time where he was finishing 11th and 8th and 12th. Klopp took four years to build that elite Liverpool side. And that was the first... Trophy they won was after four years at our expense, unfortunately. Arsenal only really took off last year, third or fourth season under Arteta. Pochettino at Tottenham really, really took off in that third season. It wasn't until midway through the second that we started seeing some improvement. This is just how it goes. And this is part of the reason because the squad is never going to be 100% there straight away. So yeah. like I said before, I think excitement turned into expectation a little bit. Now I think we've been grounded mm. and we're just going to have to eat shit.
and I'm 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 not hungry, but I'm I, I, I'm ready to be force fed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're hungry enough. Yeah, I think we, we've hit some of our, we've hit some of our own success a little bit, aren't we? I think the bar has been set a little bit too high, and we need to remember where we are and remember what our level really should be. But that being said, I think there were some good things to take from that game, and we we've got to look at the positives when we can. You know, when we've just lost two on the bounce, we have to scrape the bottom of the barrel and try and find those positives. And we started really well. Lovely finish from Brennan Johnson. Great cross from Parra. And actually, I think Brennan Johnson has been one of the bright sparks, and I think. We've talked about all the injuries. Richarlison's obviously out now, which cements very much Brandon Johnson's position on that left now if it hadn't already been. I think that's an exciting prospect to see him come into the team going forward. He was quoted after the game when he was asked about what went wrong against Wolves. He said, we almost went too safe. We all went into a safety mode where if we could see it out, we'd get three points. We can't be playing like that. We'll look back at it and we'll try and be more aggressive in pressing, positioning and playing forward, which... Uh, is exactly what we want to see. And, and hopefully in the next game, we get a little bit more of that. Let's turn our attention to the next game then, shall we? Because we've talked something about Wolves. Not a lot more, more to say about it. We played badly. We lost. We, we didn't get the result we needed. Villa, on paper at least, is going to be an even tougher game. But obviously the players that are now forced to play together are going to have a little bit more time to gel. But again, different type of game. Two very high lines. I think these are the two teams that have had the most offsides against them this season, which is telling. Dave, what have you made of Villa this season under Unai Emery? Because not just this season, second half of last season as well. They've been yeah. really, really impressive. Continuation, yeah. yeah. Amazing. And another one of those wonderful examples of which Spurs are currently one as well, that shock horror, you hire a good coach and yeah. your players get better and you play better and you perform better and you get better results. Mm. He's always been a good manager. He's a great football coach. I, I would be shocked. I, I think it should be odds on that Aston Villa win the European competition that they're in this season because that is just how he what he does. Yeah, uh, yeah. and and I'd be and I would honestly, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they're in the Champions League next season. Yeah, because it's five. Don't forget. So I would say they're they're as much in the race for top four or five as we are. Um, yeah. so it's going to be a real it's going to be a real challenge for you guys. I mean, don't mm. get me wrong. There is a difference between Villa away and Villa at home. Villa at home are unstoppable, and Villa away are not unstoppable. <laughs> Stoppable, some might say. Um, but oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> some uh, might be. Yeah. But yeah, it will be a challenge, a real challenge, because they are a very yeah. well put together team. They know what they're doing. They're fairly solid at the back. And they've got some players that can really cause some damage. I really like Diaby. I also think Bailey has got something about him. And it's fits and starts at the moment. But I think, you know, he's very young. So I think he will only improve. I like Ollie Watkins. I think he's a great player. Yeah, they've got some really, really big talents up front. And mm. you're going to have to do well to stop them. I don't know if you will, but we'll see. <laughs> well, we'll see. Well, you mentioned Bailey and Yarby, two very, very quick players, and that's kind of a calling card of Unai Emery's game, I suppose. They're, they're very quick, transitional, and cause teams a lot of trouble on the break. And I think one of the main concerns looking at our current lineup and the way we are insisting on playing is high line, not a lot of pace. It could be potentially a bit of a field day. Sock, do you think this is a particularly bad time? It's a bad time to be playing anyone at the moment for Spurs, but is this a particularly bad team for us to be facing right now? Yeah, like you just said, there aren't too many teams in this league that I would look at and say, oh, I wouldn't mind playing them at the moment just because of the players that were missing. Yeah. And Villa are absolutely one of the form teams. They do have vulnerabilities in, away from home because of the way they play. Like we've obviously seen them get smashed by Newcastle first game of the mm. season, who are a very good team themselves, obviously. They went to Anfield, which again, maybe isn't the best example because they're not the, the easiest place in the world to go, obviously, but they got their arse handed to them pretty easily. So the way they play will always leave them open. So I'm not, look, I, I said before, I'm bracing myself for pain and I've not changed that stance. I, I don't think 
of our upcoming fixtures when you've got City away, Newcastle at home, who themselves are being decimated, to be fair, West Ham at mm. home, Villa at home. Mm. I think this one and West Ham are the two I'm sort of looking at, assuming Newcastle gets some players back, that I would be disappointed if we didn't get any kind of points from it. I've now lost the confidence with our squad in the current state at the time of recording to be able to say, I think we'll win or win well. Mm. And it, it would not shock me. I mean, this could go any which way and, and I wouldn't be surprised. A, a narrow win, a thrashing either way or a score draw. Goal. There's nothing I think that would massively shock me in this game. But as Dave says, they've amassed a pretty decent team there. And we've got yeah. to remember they're dealing with some injuries as well because I think they lost Buendia to an ACL in preseason and they lost Tyron Mings to an ACL about half an hour into the season. Mm-hmm. So this is a, a Villa team who themselves have been struggling a little bit. And but They've got better depth at centre-back than we do. I, I quite rate well, Concer and that, Torres. I think they're probably better stocked than we are. Yeah. And then Clement Longley, of all people. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Expert Clement Longley at the back as well. So, yeah, they are a dangerous side. Obviously, Oli Watkins has been one of the form players and form strikers in the league as well. So him Mm. versus Davis or Dyer doesn't exactly kind of fill you with anything other than fear. But what I would say is that going into the Wolves game, even now with the benefit of hindsight, I still felt hope. And I think that's what Ange gives you. I have so much belief in him as a person. Like I said, I've braced myself for pain. But yeah. I don't know if I'm ever going to go into too many games this season, maybe even with the exception sorry, of City away and think that this game is finished, this game is lost. I'm just a little bit worried. Yeah, there's always hope. There's always the chance to pull a few chances out of the bag from nowhere. That second half against Chelsea, I think, is an illustrator of exactly that because whatever injury crisis we're facing, whatever happens between now and the end of the season, we're unlikely to ever have to be in a worse position than we were for that second half. And yeah, I know we lost and we lost heavily in the end, but we were right in it. And we gave them a game. And that just shows that no matter how much we're up against the odds, we're still going to give ourselves a chance because of the way we play, I suppose. As for Villa then, what's your lineup for that game? Because obviously we've got a couple of players back in the fold now. You mentioned a couple of things you didn't like. Would you stick with the same centre-backs? And, and what other changes would you like to see? And what would you expect to see? Well, I think Adogi will be back from suspension. He's not gone off an international break as a precaution yeah, from the same, I think, ankle injury well. he had before. But he should be fine. So I think that's an obvious one to come back in. Absolutely. I guess that raises a question if you want someone like Emerson Royale at centre-back. But I think Davis and Dyer are probably more natural fits. And then the only other obvious change, again, injuries notwithstanding, would be the Lacelso one or someone like that coming in. I don't think there's any reason to change anything else. I think Kulisewski's son and Brennan Johnson with the players we've got available picks itself. And I think that's probably the front three, even if everybody was fit anyways. Obviously, Poro Vicario, Basuma will be suspended. So it will be Hoiberg and Saar, you'd suspect, filling kind of the other two positions. So it's more who's going to make up the bench. There's going to be a few more academy kids, but I don't think there's any Mm. other... Look, fans will call again for sort of Dorrington and Phillips, but I can only revert back to what I said before, which is we just don't know and we don't have enough information. But beyond that, I think it will be a team that, due to the injuries and suspensions, will probably end up picking itself. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Speaking of Basuma, he's obviously suspended for the next game. And uh, I don't think too many people are that upset about it based on his last few outings. He's not really been at his best, certainly not compared with the first few games of the season. What's wrong with him? What do you think the issue is with Basuma at the moment? I mean, he's been, the last good game he had was the Arsenal game. I don't think he was particularly brilliant against Liverpool either. And no. then he got suspended after Luton, got subbed off after an hour against Palace and rightly and Hoib, who was better for the remaining half an hour. And he's been sort of crap since. I've seen a few people sort of speculate because the second he kind of got the yellow and the suspension against Wolves for winning the ball, by the way, that was never a foul, but whatever. He, yeah. It's all of a sudden he felt a bit freer. It's almost like he's been living in fear of of kind of getting suspended again. Maybe that's people putting two and two together and getting five, but... I suppose there's something there with regards to, you know, we can speculate on attitude and stuff like that. 
I think we need a longer sample size with him to sort of see, is this a, I mean, players can have purple patches, both good and bad. And there are a myriad of different reasons. I mean, Christ, we might find out in six months' time that he's been carrying an injury this whole time that we're not aware of. Mm. But I'm hesitant to start saying anything too significant about him either way. We all know his capability. We all know his talent. There is probably a reason for him to have dropped off, whether it is fear of the suspension, whether it's a confidence thing, whether it's an injury thing. I trust Ange to be able to deal with it behind the scenes, and that's all that really matters. So I agree with the sentiment that it might not be the end of the world compared to what it felt like four or five weeks ago, just because his performances have dipped. And to be fair, we've proven we can win games without him. Palace, like I said, he wasn't particularly good, and Fulham we won without him. And I think yeah. the Wolves won, barring that freak sort of four or five minutes, if we'd held on to win that one, it wouldn't have been either because or in spite of Basuma, to be fair. So I agree with that, but it would be nice, especially at a period where... Look, when you're missing Van der Ven and Madison, the last thing you want is to have the players in the team that you do trust to be good also not be good. So yep. he's had his little spell, but when he comes back from the suspension, he needs to return to the, like the team needs him to return to those levels because yeah. it's bad enough to have those injuries, but we can't then have an underperforming Sun, an underperforming Kuliseski, and an underperforming Basuma because at that point, the team is basically nothing. I think there's something to be said as well of having good players around you. It gives you the extra confidence and it makes you yes. look better. Like if exactly. you've got really good centre-backs behind you who are passing into you at the right time in the right way. They have a good relationship with you. They understand the way you're moving and they'll pass it to you. You're going to look better in that way as well, aren't you? And obviously having Madison around, he's so good at finding space. It makes Basuma look better when he can receive the ball and immediately Madison's somewhere for him to pass to. So I think that's got to be a factor in it too. But yeah, either way, it's not quite what we're hoping from him. So let's hope he comes back from the suspension looking like uh, his old self. Dave, next few games for Spurs. This is all, by the way, this is all before Van der Ven and Madison are due back. So this is basically our run-in for the rest of this calendar year. So we have Villa, Man City, West Ham, Newcastle, <laughs> Forest, Everton, and Brighton. That's 21 points there, in theory. How many do you think Spurs are going to see out of that, given that we're probably likely to see some kind of version of this current setup between now and then? So 21 points. 21 total. And what would be a success for Spurs out of those? Success would be 15. Yeah. So that sounds high to me already. Realistically, yeah. I think... Where are the points 12, coming 12 from in those great. games? Um, you're at home against Aston Villa, you can win. Okay. I think the only... I the hope only, so, because I'm going the to the game. Play, the only ones that I've got <laughs> down as nailed on defeats there would be would be Man City and Newcastle. And that's assuming yeah. that Newcastle get some players back and get out of this temporary funk that they're in. Mm. You're a good team. Just because you've lost a few players... Two games later, you'll have Romero back. That's it. And I think that is, it's, it's probably not as big as having Van de Van back just because of the way we play, but I think having Romero back will make a massive difference, assuming he doesn't go and get sent off again the minute he walks back into the team. Which um, would be hilarious. But which, maybe, which would maybe be hilarious. It would be hilarious and would also be timely for me because I've just written an article on Vavil that some of you may have seen that is entitled Christian Romero, The Man on the Edge. And it is essentially <laughs> um, my two cents on uh, whether he is too much of a lunatic for us to suffer his consistent suspensions and throwing away games. Spoiler alert, I would suggest yes, but I think it's going to depend heavily on how well we do with him and the team ultimately. So uh, go and check that out if you get a chance. It's on our Twitter too. And while I'm on there, you can follow us at Plus Dave Podcast. And also you can read Elio's match report also via Vavil, which is again on our Twitter. He's written a report about the Wolves game as well. So even though Elio's not on this episode, you still get a little bit of an Elio cameo there. So go and check that out if you get a chance. Well, guys, we, we said this was going to be a snappy one. I'm not going to put too much into it because, of course, we're going to have another episode next week and we'll probably have another chance to take stock of everything and look ahead to the season. But, Sox, what are your overall feelings as a Spurs fan right now? Now that you've had a few days to calm down from the drama at the end of Wolves and you've, you've had a chance to look at everything pragmatically from a distance, are you, are you happy about it? 
Overall, yes, I'm. I'm <laughs> by your standards, I'm, happy for you. By, yeah, yeah, I exist. I exist on a different scale yeah. to the rest of yeah. my species. <laughs> I, I would say my overriding emotion is one of frustration because I've enjoyed the first ten games so much, even the Chelsea defeat to an extent that I now feel I'm going to be robbed largely of the good football we've been able to play because of injuries. Like I said before, I wasn't expecting too much from this season beyond that. So I feel annoyed that because of the injuries and suspensions. It might be until January before I get to kind of enjoy watching us play again because this season was mm. meant to be one of little actual kind of success in terms of doing anything meaningful and tangible. But let's have some fun. And I worry that that fun may be ruined. So I can't contradict myself. I said before, these are the painful bits of a process and we're going to have to live with it. I just think Spurs fans, within the context of our bubble, because I know what I'm about to say, Dave will know that chime in with the horror of, you know, we lived the dream from 2004 <laughs> or whatever the hell it was. But the, the last four or five years, we've had so much kind of suffering with an asterisk next to it that I kind of feel like, and maybe this is me and I'm just projecting toward the rest of the fan base, but I feel like we just can't be asked for it anymore. <laughs> and we're a little bit fragile. It's like, not this again, yeah. man. Not this again. This was supposed to be a bit of an escape. And again, maybe it is just me, but uh, it's... Like I say, I'm ready mm. for what I feel will be a pretty bumpy couple of months, but I can't be asked for it, man. Not anymore. <laughs> but I, I think that's what's going to happen. So we're clutching. Yeah, yeah mini retirement. Jump ahead. Yeah, the mini retirement. The mini retirement. So yeah, let's we're holding until January. And look, just just to kind of finish off to top it off, I'm always loath to turn things into like a massive Levy Enix yeah. thing because it's a conversation where I've been very vocal on it for a long time and it's been done to death. However, this is one of those periods where it's worth mentioning. The only reason we're yep. here is because we neglected to do the work that we should have done in the summer. Nobody was asking for Mbappe. Nobody's asking for the second coming of Neymar. We all knew we needed at least one more centre-back. We could have signed 20, 25 million pound Lloyd Kelly. I know nothing about him, but that's not the point. From Bournemouth, we neglected to do anything about it until the last day, by which point it was too late. And then after the transfer window closed, we sold Davis and Sanchez, a limited player, but a better player than absolutely nobody. Yep. At the moment, we have three first-choice centre-backs, Two of our injured and suspended, and the third one it has been surplus to requirements for the past four years. So I think it's important to remember that we mm. are here of our own doing. When you are in a position where the squad is one injury away from a crisis, that's not bad luck. That's not misfortune. That's negligence and mismanagement. So on one hand, I'm looking forward to amending it in January, but it feels like we are amending the yeah. thing that we are fixing a problem that we should have fixed and we're fully aware of in the summer. And I think that's yeah, probably was the biggest source of frustration. It's, yeah. This is just so, so avoidable. So, so avoidable. Yeah, very hard to argue with any of that, Socks. And I'd like to sit on the fence when it comes to that particular debate. But I think at the moment, there's it's a pretty hefty case to be made against our recent transfer business there. Dave, I will let you wrap things up. We're about a third of the way through the season now. So a nice cross-session to judge Ange and his his start to life at Spurs. 12 games in, we are in fourth place currently with two points off leaders, Manchester City, with a few teams breathing down our necks. One eight, drawn two, lost two. How would you grade Ange Postacoglu's start to life at Spurs? Can you ask for much more? I mean, it's very difficult not to say, A, if I'd have offered you this, at the start of the season, yeah. you'd have bitten my hand off. I don't think there's a single Spurs fan that would have said no to being where we are now at this stage. Yeah, I, te I take Sox's point and, you know, he, he did say it. We can <laughs> we can listen back on the tapes and, and Sox absolutely said we kind of need another centre-back. But, I mean, going back to what you said in terms of the anxiety and you thought this was going to be a fun season, that's what everybody mm. wants, right? Everybody wants a fun season. Everybody wants a team that they can get on board with. And ultimately, if in the next, what is it, yep. what did we say, seven games, 21 points, if you play Ange ball and you don't pick up that many points, that's all right, right? I suppose so. Yeah. If you pick up 
I don't know, seven points from the next seven games. Relegation form. Obviously, you won't be in relegation <laughs> places because you've yeah. already got a nice clump of points. But you'd be okay with that because if you're playing the right way yeah. and, and you know what's happened, because we all know what's happened, you've had some two horrific injuries and some suspensions. Is it going to be all that bad? We'd have been really? okay with that over the first seven games, Dave, I think. I think now we've had a taste. We've had a taste of what Andrew Bourdain writes can give us. But you know it's but you know it's there. But that's even better even better. You know it's there. You know that you can get back to that. There is such a lost art of realizing that just playing decent football that you can really get behind, regardless yeah. of the result, is sometimes better. And you know, I don't want to put rose tinted glasses on and start, you know, sounding like some weirdo, but there's some stock in that. And as Sock said, he kinda of wants the season to end and I kinda of know where he's coming from, but Ultimately, if you play the way you want them to play and it's your football team and you can identify with it, then and you've already won. That's very positive of you, Dave. And I think that's just a little bit of balance. That's a little bit of balance we needed, yeah. That's what you're after, right? I'm, I'm going to learn absolutely from my mistakes from previous episodes and I'm going I'm to end <laughs> yeah, on you from now don't on. Don't come back um, to me. Somehow, for all of this, you've become <laughs> the positive one that's Spurs' biggest cheerleader. Fantastic. I feel like yeah. it had to go that way with this all this positivity about Spurs. You know, when it's positive, I have to be negative. But when it's negative, I have to be positive. <laughs> you know? I'm the yin to your just like winding us all up one way or another, don't you, Dave? Anyway, wouldn't have it any other way. Fantastic. Well, guys, thanks for joining me today. Hopefully, we will navigate our way through this mini crisis and come out in any kind of good way on the other side we will have another episode before the Villa game so we're going to have another chance to delve into it and maybe an update on some of those injuries and a chance to look back over the season so far and look ahead and see where we dare predict we might end up but hopefully as many of you as possible can come back for that uh, looking forward to that one next weekend until then stay classy Spurs fans and we'll see you next time